The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. Because of Christ's death on the cross, his shed blood atoning for our sin, we now have peace. We have peace with God the Father. Vertically, we're made right with him. And now we also have, the, we, we can experience peace horizontally. It's, it's both. And I know for some of us here that might be hard. It is hard. And that's why we say, may the peace, not my peace, or your peace, but the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So it's a prayer as we say it. Normally we'd shake hands, but we're not doing that at this time. So wherever you are, immediate in your immediate area, look that person in the eye after I say it to you, then you extend it back to me and say it to them. So let's do this together. And may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 101, Psalm 101. For those of you that are in this physical space, it also, is that correct? It'll be on the screen as well? Okay. And please follow along as I read aloud. Psalm 101, a Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. 
He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house, and no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Before we continue, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, speak now through your word and speak now through me. And together may we think our thoughts after you. And so may our longings and loves follow. For we ask in Christ's name, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Last night, I took our dog for a walk <clears throat> and noticed the leaves are changing color. They're dropping rapidly. Sidewalks littered with yellows, brilliant oranges and browns. And I remember as a child, and I would walk through them, and I'd feel and hear the crunch beneath my feet. I still love doing that today. Once again, fall is, which is my favorite season in Minnesota, is officially here. And so our annual summer in the Psalms comes to a close. We trust that you all grew in your familiarity, appreciation, and love for the Psalms. And I, I hope that it was a springboard for many of you to incorporate a steady diet of them into your devotional life. And above all, we trust that you better saw and loved Jesus in them. And it was, as it was his hymn book, so it may increasingly become ours. Moving forward, uh, we're excited to announce that our next sermon series will be, <clears throat> drum roll, little drum roll in-house. In Kids, drum roll. I've got to hear a drum roll. Drum roll. Pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. Drum roll is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, for long-time city lifers, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're sitting back going, wait a minute, if you were here in 2010, it may ring sort of a faint bell. Well, that's because uh, Pastor Bart preached through Colossians in 2010. But very few of you here now were, were here then. And although it's one of his shorter letters, we'll see it has a lot to say to us on what it means to follow and know Jesus. More information next Sunday as we kick off on Colossians. But beforehand, I have a small task, a small task for, for everyone here. And that's this. It's to read through Colossians two or, or three times, okay? Read through Colossians two or three times and not in separate sittings. It's only four chapters. Try to read through it in one sitting. It shouldn't take more than an hour. And if you can't read it, at least listen to it. All right? Is that easy enough? Between now and next Sunday, read through or at least listen to the book of Colossians at least three or four times. And it's going to make my task of preaching through it more productive for everybody. All right. Let's shift gears. I want you to imagine a job posting uh, that reads something like this. Wanted. 
higher-up government official. Significant responsibilities, qualifications include, but aren't limited to, being blameless and faithful. All perverse slanders, haughty, arrogant, deceitful, lying, wickedly, wicked evildoers need not apply. Now imagine such a posting being for the President of the United States or a Supreme Court Justice. It's a pretty high bar, right? I mean, who could meet such stringent qualifications? Enter Psalm 101. And the psalm, which is attributed to David, was written before he became king. And this is important. It was written not, as he, not while he was king, but before he became king. And so he's writing it, and he's looking ahead to what, Lord willing, will one day be a reality. And so think of Psalm 101 as ideals for a king, right? These are, these are the ideals for a king, which is precisely the title of this sermon. It's not in your order of worship, but here it is, ideals for a king. In Psalm 101, we're going to discuss three important things related to these ideals. The first is aspirations, aspirations of the king. And the second is realities of the king. And lastly, fulfillment of the king. Aspirations, realities, fulfillment. Let's begin with aspirations of the king. Essentially, David, he's looking at both himself and, so to speak, his future cabinet. And, and he's looking ahead, he considers his kingship, what's he aiming for? What's his end game? What are his personal hopes, in other words, for how he wants to rule? Power, maybe more territory, more land, more influence, maybe fame, riches? Look with me at verses one and two. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. So what does David want as Israel's future king to be? Well, positively stated, steadfast love and justice. Regarding his personal life, blameless integrity. And these aren't soft aspirations, a type of wishful thinking. Note the language of his resolve. I will, and it's repeated four times, right out of the gates, resolving that he'll sing of steadfast love and justice. <clears throat> Have you ever seen a political candidate running on that platform. Steadfast love and justice. One commentator considers a curious thought experiment. How would this first verse today be written by various politicians? It's a, it's a question worth pondering, whatever your political persuasion, isn't it? As David prepares for his rule, he realizes an important lesson in leadership. Yes, he must pay attention to his own life. Personally, right, he wants to rule with truth and justice, but he also knows 
that who he surrounds himself with is vitally important. And so far from looking for, for mere yes men or people to bolster his constituency, who's he after? Look with me at verses 3 through 7. I'm not going to read it in its entirety. Just sort of scan those verses and look for all the character traits that he's looking for for those inside of his political inner circle. No, nothing worthless. No one who's perverse and evildoers. Verse 4. Slanders, those with haughty eyes and arrogant hearts, verse 5. And far from picking and choosing based on bolstering his poll numbers, making certain exceptions for a select few, note the totality of his scope. Verse 7, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. And by house, he doesn't mean the place, right, our homes, sort of our residence. He's, he's talking about Again, his, his cabinet. Thus far, no one who utters lies shall continue before, before my eyes. And these are all negative aspects that David's pointing out. His personal resolve in the first two verses continues as he looks outward with those to consider to come alongside him, influencing, counseling, adding as a rule. Well, if these are what he's not looking for, so those are, as I said earlier, sort of negatively what he's not after, positively, what's he on the lookout for? Look with me at verse 6. Those who are faithful and blameless. Now, that seems like such a high bar. I said earlier that these are the king's very high aspirations both for him and for his inner circle. And yet, for those of you that have even a cursory knowledge of King David and the Old Testament, we know from the book of 2 Samuel, we see, don't we? We see how far David fell short of living up to this ideal. Which brings us to our second point the realities of the king, the realities of the king. Little did David know when he was writing Psalm 101 how <clears throat> far he would fall from his sleeping with Bathsheba, having her husband killed in battle, his great compromise in character, this incredible collapse. All, <clears throat> all of this would infiltrate and poison his kingdom not only in his lifetime, but for years to come. So it's worth asking. I mean, in hindsight, is David here just showing his true colors? Isn't he just another religious leader in a long line of sort of hypocritical Pharisees? A classic instance of do as I say, not as I do? No. The realities of the future King David do not negate or nullify his preceding aspirations. I'll repeat that again. The realities of the future King David do not negate nor nullify his preceding aspirations. Here, David isn't only setting a high bar of character, of leadership for himself and those around him. He's looking farther than that. 
also for future generations of leaders and rulers. And here's a lesson for us to consider with past and present political leaders, and really any leader. We tend to think that a leader's faults, even if significant, primarily affect just that individual. And yet, as we survey history, it's worth pondering how much leader's downfall has a ripple effect extending far beyond his or her personal life. It seems every presidential election we hear the common refrain, this is the most important election of our generation. And at least here in the U.S., we go through these cycles, these wild swings, don't we, right? Whether we're Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, moderate, whoever wins, the other side predicts doomsday. And here's the thing. No one casts their vote absent of any ulterior motive. Everyone, everybody here, everybody that goes to the polls has an ideology or viewpoint on a given topic nationally, globally, moral issues, fiscal ones. We all want to see something advanced that we largely agree with. And so we go to the polls, most of us convinced with this one thing, my candidate doesn't, doesn't win everything. Everything is going to fall apart. But important elections, even presidential ones, seldom produce such black or white outcomes. Such moments tell us this one important lesson, and here's what it is. It's that putting our full hope, putting our full hope and trust in an earthly ruler to provide ultimate meaning, comfort, and purpose in life will eventually disappoint you. Because even the best of them, yes, even the ones we've elected, are bound to disappoint us. John Calvin, with great truth and wit, on this psalm writes, it commonly happens that those who are invested with a government of kingdoms and empires are fools and blockheads. Right? Withhold your commentary. Which brings us briefly to our third and final point, and that's the fulfillment of the king. The fulfillment of the king. David eventually became king of Israel, and although his character collapsed, his kingship flawed, it was but a mere forecast, a mere forecast of the true king, the one who descended from David himself, the one who would rule with absolute perfect steadfast love and justice, the only holy, blameless one, whose heart was shot through with integrity from top to bottom, inside and out. This is the final and true Messiah, Jesus the Christ, of whom the Psalms that we've been going through, indeed all of the scriptures, point to and find their ultimate fulfillment. This is the king who died for the perverse, the slanderers, the haughty, the arrogant, the deceitful, liars, wicked, evildoers, politicians, world rulers, judges, pastors, moral, faithful churchgoers, even Christians, even those who regularly read their Bibles and pray, and everyone in between. This is the divine king, 
who would become like us, condescending to us, taking on our frail humanity so that one day, one day, we might live under his perfect and righteous rule, and not only in this lifetime, but in the life to come. In closing, Psalm 101 taps into something that's good. It taps into our longings for right rule. We yearn to have rulers with impeccable character. We yearn to have rulers who live up to the slogans, the promises, using their incredible power and influence to rightly administer justice, who love truth and integrity, both privately and publicly. And what I'm about to say may is, is countercultural. It may even sound to some of you absurd. But we were made not for self-rule, but to have others rightly rule over us. That said, Psalm 101 is a reminder to adjust our expectations accordingly. Because even the best of political rulers and even church rulers are bound to disappoint you. And yet, Jesus' rule, Jesus' rule never, ever disappoints. And for him, we were made to live as his people. Every Christmas, many of us sing to him, Come thou long-expected Jesus. And there's that line, I think that's in the second verse, Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born, why? To reign in us forever. Admittedly, it's easier to sing than it is to do, isn't it? May the Lord grant us his grace and willingness to do so. Derek Kidner uh, wrote an excellent commentary on the Psalms and other Old Testament books, and I'm reserving the last word uh, for him. This Psalm is doubly moving both for the ideals it discloses and for the shadow of failure which history throws across it. Happily, the last word is not with David nor with his faithful historians, but with his son. There, there is no shadow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for yet another summer in the Psalms. May we learn from David, the one with whom you made covenant, to be his God, and for him and his descendants, including us, to be your people. We praise you for Jesus, who would perfectly embody and fulfill true and eternal kingship the one with whom would keep your covenant, even extending it to us perfectly forever. And so with grateful and humble hearts, we look to Jesus, from whom all earthly rulers derive their power 
and authority as our good, faithful, true, and eternal King. And in doing so, find life under His reign not only freeing, but beautifully glorious and joyful. Please forgive us for so often placing our loves and longings in human leaders, political or otherwise. And would you grant us repentance and grant us faith in Christ? Yes, he is King of kings and Lord of lords, but also our perfect and final priest who even now intercedes for us. And our prophet who tells us what is good, right, and true. For it's in his precious, glorious, and holy name, Jesus the Christ, we ask these things. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening, and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.